0: Hello, hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 168 of the Sustainable-ish podcast. How are you doing? How has your week been? I've had a pretty good week, actually, I think, with some unexpected carbon literacy training, which has been great. And on that note, there are still some spaces on the November open course if you're interested. The link with more information is, as ever, in the show notes. And it's actually also been really good to hear some Slightly more positive political environmental viewpoints coming out of this week's Labour Party conference, in contrast to the flat out lies and culture war stoking rhetoric that we heard from the Tories. So, all in all, a slightly better week at my end. Let me know how you've been getting on. Okay, so this week's episode starts with a confession because this episode was actually recorded a whole year ago. It was edited intros were put onto it it was all ready to go and I somehow failed catastrophically and miserably and completely to hit publish. I genuinely even thought I had published it until I had an email from Heather earlier on this year asking when I thought it might be published and I'm so glad she got in touch to follow up on it because otherwise this brilliant interview might never have seen the light of day and it really is worth a listen. Gavin Fernie Jones and Heather Davis are both Brits living in France in Courcheval, which is a very popular skiing resort, and they came together to create Reaction, a social enterprise working towards a greener outdoor industry. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never really stopped to think about it before, but now I have. I'm a little bit gobsmacked at the amount of waste that must come along with something like skiing, the amount of consumption that must occur for a week's holiday and it's not just skiing. We live in a consumer society, so any time we take up a new hobby, our natural response is to go out and to buy all the gear. And outdoor activities are obviously no exception. So Reaction is a social enterprise that works with its member organisations to help them to save resources, reduce waste and cut those all important carbon emissions by sharing with them best practice on rescuing and repair and reviving products. Um, and then how they can redistribute those products that they've rescued and repaired through resale and rental and donation, and really importantly, how they can engage local communities with this model as well. So Reaction are working with their members to make snow sports, cycling, climbing, surfing, sailing, and just generally getting outdoors in the right kit, more affordable and accessible. Again, this is another wonderful one where it feels like lots of what Gavin and Heather and their member organisations are doing is something that we could all play a part in. So I would love to hear if you listen to this and you're inspired to get in touch with maybe your local outdoor retailer, or if you're inspired to have a go at mending some of your kit as well to keep it in use for a little bit longer. So please do let me know. Would love as ever to hear any comments or thoughts on this. You can drop me a line on jen at sustainableish.co.uk or just come and tag me on social media when I'm where I'm at Sustainable-ish. Now, as you might imagine, quite a lot can happen in a year. So Gavin very kindly hopped on to Zoom yesterday, actually, with a little update on reaction and what they've been up to since we last spoke. And I've tagged that on to the end. So enjoy this chat and I will catch you on the other side for the good news section. Enjoy. Hello guys, welcome to the podcast. There's two of you in one room, which has really thrown me completely, talking to two people. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thank you.
1: I'm doing great, thanks Jen.
0: Brilliant. Can you start off um, by introducing yourselves, maybe take it in turns, tell us who you are and what you do?
2: Oh Well, okay, I'll go first. Uh, So I'm Heather Davis, and uh, by day I work on communicating sustainability. Uh, so I'm, I work in, in marketing and communications, but purely on the sustainability side of things, helping companies communicate their sustainability stories without greenwashing.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, my real job is working in a ski shop. So during the winter months, I work up in a ski resort called Courchevel uh, and Meribel. And then in the summer months, I work for two not-for-profits. One is called One Tree at a Time and the other is Reaction.
0: Amazing, and we're going to speak specifically about um, reaction today, but it's kind of tied up with one tree at a time. Am I right, Gavin?
1: Yeah, correct. It's sort of a way of trying to to scale the impact of one tree at a time. Um, Shall I jump into what one tree at a time is? Yeah,
0: tell us that. Yeah, (laughs)
1: I'll try and keep this concise. But uh, outside our ski shops up in resort, we decided to run a repair day, Um, so a bit like you'd see if anyone's seen it before, the Patagonia worn wear days. Yes. Um, so obviously we were over a lot of ski gearing, outdoor kit, um, and we just decided that we'd hold a sort of positive, positive day in resort and, and run a repair day. Uh, as we ran up to that repair day, we decided to run a couple of sort of bring and buy rails. Um, and the premise was that anything we sold on a day would go towards tree planting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we run those and we actually put on another couple of events that season and we raised 9,000 euros. Wow which was really cool. We've obviously planted a lot of trees. Um, We use an organisation called Trees for the Future. They are actually cited by the UN as the way we should plant trees and they create these forest gardens.
0: Because Heather's there for you with your greenwashing around the trees and the offsetting, I bet, yeah? (laughs)
2: Yeah, so it's all kosher and it it basically goes towards um, creating better biodiversity in areas of Africa where the soil is just complete rubbish and yeah, yeah helps educate people in terms of what they need to do to be able to grow food successfully mm.
1: a big side like side bonus of that is they actually increase the yield on the land by 400 percent. the food yield Wow! so as an organization they not only sequester a little bit of carbon but they teach people how important trees are at revitalizing the, the soil
0: i'm totally going to check them out and so they'll pro- probably invite them on the podcast Say. So. <laughs> But yeah, so, yes, you did
1: these events. Yeah. Yeah, I did these events. Uh, at the same time, we were doing quite a lot to our shop, to our business and resort. So, we were working a lot with brands to reduce the amount of plastic that they sent us, the amount of single-use plastic. Um, we've actually been quite successful in removing about 10,000 single-use plastic items from our, our sports store. And that was just through lobbying the brands and saying that we don't need these, these plastic bags so a lot uh in skiing a lot of stuff is made of plastic. So obviously ski boots are
0: yes.
1: made from plastic. They are designed to be in the outdoors. Traditionally they've always come in a box and then in the box the boots are wrapped in plastic, which
0: Oh okay.
1: Um we just pointed out was pretty insane. <laughs>
0: <laughs> For what to what purpose, you sort of think, yeah.
1: I think the purpose is when you open the box it looks like a new product.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I don't think it really protects the product because, like you say, like I was saying, it goes into the outdoors. It's designed to go in the snow. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's merely uh, the sort of that, that, that feeling of having a brand new product when you open the box. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, we've been doing that for a while. And then we also had a few smaller businesses around us contact us and say, oh, can we get involved? Um, how are you improving your business? And so we decided to set up one tree at a time. Um, it's an association, which in France is kind of like a, a not-for-profit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what we've actually done is created a space in our community, which we're now sat in. Um,
0: Shall I take a little, I'll take a little screenshot if you guys are happy with that. And then I can, yeah, make sure you smile. <laughs> and then I can um, share that. Because behind you, there's big rail of um, clothes. And yeah, it looks absolutely rammed with clothes and things.
1: Yeah. So we've just moved all the clothes indoors so that we don't get disturbed for this podcast. But um, <laughs> these rails are usually outside the The rail just behind Heather is actually our kids' uh, shop for for free rails. So that's a rail wow. that's outside the store. Um, it's a swap rail or take take as you want rail. And yeah, a way of uh, keeping children's clothing just in use because yeah. yeah, especially with ski gear, you can. Well, Heather's probably got more experience than me at this because you can um, a child could wear a ski jacket for one season, so that's three or four months, and then next season.
2: Oh yeah, you know, they grow out of them
0: so quickly have you got you got kids heather
2: yeah i've got an eight-year-old son and uh and he loves skiing so but yeah there's probably some of his stuff here somewhere
0: <laughs> and it's not cheap is it ski gear so no, really pricey. Oh. yeah
2: and you mm-hmm. have to replace it and it's all made of plastic you know at the end of the day so we need to get as much wear out of it as we possibly can yeah definitely it's, it's
1: good because it's it's not cheap, but it's also really well constructed because of the nature of the product. So it has to be out in the mountains. It has to be has to be durable. Mm. And so we found that it's actually really quite easy to regain revenue from outdoor sportswear. So we sell a lot of secondhand ski gear and ski pants. We do quite a, a large amount of patching. So um, we get some really good donations from from ski schools and companies that are operating out here um and they donate us a lot of their x kit and we'll patch over the logos and then reset yeah yeah. i think
2: it'd be really good to talk about why we end up with so much of that kit because this is what this is part of the problem and this isn't just a problem in the ski industry it's a problem in lots of different industries so here in resort we've got um ski schools we've got chalet companies we've got transfer companies and they tend to kit their um, staff out in ski gear because obviously <laughs> they have to be out in the elements, kind of welcoming guests in and out, walking to and from chalets, that kind of thing. And they get their kit from quite well-known brands, like, you know, it could be North Face, it could be any any kind of outdoor brand like that. And what they'll tend to do is they'll buy the kit in, they'll slap their logo on it, and then they'll give it to the staff to wear. Well. The staff might wear it for probably 16 weeks of the season. And at the end of that season, the staff, you know, they'll take the jackets back or whatever, but they might consider that they're not fit for use for the following season. Or the brand, like North Face, might have changed their colourways slightly. Right. So they can't get, if they want to buy more of the same stuff next year, they can't. Oh, I see, yeah. what they end up doing is, well, they end up with a stock of you know lots and lots of jackets and ski pants that they can't necessarily use the following year, so previously these you know a few of them obviously get distributed to their mates or whatever yes, but, yeah but then um, but then the rest would end up like most likely in storage, and once you know five years down the line, they oh, what are these still doing here and chuck them in landfill so I suppose what Gav's sort of realized is that there's so much stuff. Sitting in the community yeah. that could be useful for the community, because obviously the community here are all people, uh, predominantly people that ski and snowboard. And those jackets could be, you know, living their best life back on the yes. mountain. But instead, you know, they're, they're sat in storage. So I think one tree at a time has basically like made a, like found a way to produce value from what would otherwise be waste.
0: And it's like such a simple solution as well, isn't it? You, do, you, do you sometimes think, hold on a minute, why has no one done this before?
1: <laughs> yeah, I do I do wonder why no one's done it before, but I guess it's just maybe not imagining the possibilities. And I think that, that can be said a lot when it comes to the handling materials that are in your community and mm-hmm. products. Uh, if you're not creative, then it's likely to end up back in landfill. And one like sort of really important thing we did in this space when we started out is that we decided we weren't going to make anything so yeah what i mean by that is when it comes to patching over a logo rather than ordering up badges online made from nylon Mm. um, and patching over them we're going to use the waste product that we have here in our community and patch using whatever color fabric we've got as long as it's a good quality fabric make the jacket waterproof just take and use that and then that has really helped our sort of core team of repairers understand What our mission is, how we're structured, and then get really creative. So they're they're madly creative. They they make all sorts of things out of the stuff that comes in the shop. So we actually have somewhere around about a 90% return rate of donations back either, well, back into our community, or we reuse the fabric for stuff. I think the recognized sort of industry standard on, on this is around about 25%. No.
2: Yeah, so that's so that's the difference between say somebody giving their clothing to one tree, yeah, and somebody giving their clothing to uh, like any charity shop in the UK.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because you you've written a blog post recently. I saw you share it on LinkedIn about how donating our clothes to charity shops might actually be the wrong thing to do, and that goes so counter to everything we've been told, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, and it's not to it's not to sort of say don't give your clothing to charity because obviously charities do need certain clothes and you know to make the charity shops run and that sort mm. of thing and to make money for their cause. But uh, the problem is that yeah, like seventy five percent of it is actually ending up overseas and they can't deal with it. They yeah. can't deal with it anymore. And what's what's ending up happening is sort of mountains of landfill of cloth clothing waste. Or it's getting uh, dumped dumped somewhere, or it's being set fire to. Uh, it's getting washed up on the shores. It's damaging ecosystems. It's also creating more disease in those countries. So Ghana, for example, uh, there's so much clothing waste in certain places that it's blocking drainage. Oh wow! When it blocks drainage that creates sew- you know sewage yeah, yeah, yeah. and mosquitoes, and mosquitoes spread disease and so on and so forth. So it's it's actually more damaging than anybody can possibly imagine. I think um
0: ITV might have done a a thing on this towards the start of this year. Um and, and I think it, it, it reminded me of when we had, you probably heard about it in France, you know, all this coverage of all our plastic waste being shipped overseas from the UK and then it just being sort of in these massive big plastic mountains and not being dealt with appropriately. And it's kind of the same thing. And I think one of the issues as you say you know it's really charity shops do need that revenue and all that sort of thing but there's a potential I think for us to use them as a kind of panacea to continue to just over consume fast fashion because it's okay we give it to the charity shop at the end of it well actually we need to be really sewing down you know turning down the tap don't we
1: yeah 100% and I actually think we could sort of revitalize the charity shop model a little bit um that's kind of what we've done here like yeah. we've placed a lot bigger emphasis on repair for example like we've got just uh, in front of me i've got two free to use sewing machines uh we won workshops with like the community on how to repair and how to create your own clothing uh zelia who is our member of staff she's also a teacher at the art school here in the afternoons and she takes any scraps of fabric and turns them into all sorts of stuff for the kids there so i think there's a different way you could structure yeah. um clothing donations, like The worst example, I think, is these clothing bins that you'll find at a car park or a tip where you go and you literally just put anything into a clothes container and you have no understanding, like, you don't really know where that stuff is going. It's then getting shipped, as Heather said, to places like Ghana where, that you know, that technically will be listed as being recycled. Um, Yeah. And that's just taking it, you know, taking it out of our eyesight, really. Yeah if this was piling up in our community
0: oh god yeah 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 and in in practical terms for either putting the you know patching over the logo or patching it's I'm just thinking if people are listening it feels to me for some reason more difficult to do that with outdoor stuff than it would say with a pair of jeans or a t-shirt because maybe I'm worried about the waterproofing and all that sort of thing is it do you use machines do you use glue do you hand sew it how do you do it
1: yeah, we'll just we'll use a sewing machine and just create patches, stitch them on, and then we'll just reseal it on the inside. So we'll use like a tent sealer.
0: Oh, okay. So you'll put a patch of like tent sealer sticky on the inside or?
1: On the inside. So where we've stitched through, we've obviously made some perforations in the, mm. in the packet. Um, so we'll literally just, um, yeah, add, add tent sealer there. I mean, with some of the stuff in here, so outdoor gear does come in degrees of waterproofness. Right. So, I would say that some of the sort of lower to medium and waterproof clothing it isn't that waterproof. And we get away with it a little bit in a ski resort because yeah. snow is not really
2: wet. Yeah.
1: It is wet. It's not like if yeah, you go out you skiing mean, yeah. and it's nice and cold, it's not particularly wet, it's not going through your jacket. And then what we've found is, although some of these products that we get donated are no longer useful to a ski instructor because they have to go out in all conditions. Right, yeah. We have a lot of workers here who, myself included, if we look out of the window and it's raining, I ain't going (laughs) skiing.
0: That's totally what I'd be like. (laughs) And so if you've got, like, a puffer jacket or a jacket that's sort of a waterproof shell and then a lining, do you just sew through all the layers at the same time? Okay. Yeah, we
1: do, like, and a lot of things as well. Like, sometimes we've just got to be really practical and fast about, about the work we're doing. So if we get a jacket here and one of the pockets on like a Gore-Tex jacket, jacket, the zip is broken on the pocket. Sometimes we will just put a patch over that zip. Mm. They're glued in, so it's really, really hard yeah. on a modern, a modern waterproof jacket to take that zip out and replace it. And we'll put a patch over it and we'll stick a One Tree at a Time logo on it. So we just stamp onto our stuff using like a handmade stamp here and some fabric ink. Uh, I've done that in the past and had two jackets hanging up, one with zero thought on it, and one with a pocket that we've stitched a big patch over and put the one tree logo on. Both for the same price and we've sold the, the patched up one first. Oh really? And I think that that comes from like in our community we've created a story.
0: Yes.
2: Yeah, I think um I think yeah, that sort of goes with the point that you made about about rethinking charity shops in the UK. I think the thing that's made One Tree at a time so successful here has been the community buy-in. Uh, people wear the One Tree logo with the same pride that somebody else might wear the Patagonia logo, yeah. you know. and it's a it's a it's a kind of a hyper local brand, if you like, that says to people, "I care about where my stuff comes from. Yeah. I care about the mountain environment. I don't want to um, create waste, and you know, I want to support local initiatives." Yeah. So. Um, it's been staggering hasn't it like the beanie thing I, I come back to this story every time but there was a whole shelf of beanies behind me here uh, that were all different brands all different colors and and they just didn't sell right. so these guys um got made some little patches you know like the little tags you'd get on branded beanies oh, okay. and they put a tree stamp on it so spent 10 minutes you know sewing one on each beanie um and then they started flying off the shelves because everyone suddenly wanted a one-tree
0: beanie. It's that idea of um or anything with a story behind it, exactly as you said, isn't it? And um like I'm not very good at mending, but so when I do mend, I do a very visible mend because I'm not good enough to do an invisible mend. But actually just that creates a conversation. So I used to have a pair of jeans that were probably more patched than jean. And everywhere, like, you know, if I was sort of at kids' assembly or something, you'd have someone next to you going, "Oh, I really like your jeans." And what have you, you know? And then you'd have a really lovely, gentle conversation about fast fashion and repair and reuse, and 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 it's just a really exactly as you say, almost that sort of badge of honour, isn't it? Which is really powerful. Yeah, definitely.
1: And did you have more pride in those jeans after you?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also with something like jeans as well, it's a pain in the bum to try and find a pair that actually fit and you like. And, you know, so you might as well try and keep them going for as long as you can, can't you?
1: Jeans are one of the hardest things for us to sell.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. But with patches on?
1: No, just not like up oh, I can't see, but by the very back there, there's racks and racks and jeans. And I'm going to be honest here and say most of them are ladies' jeans. Um, yeah. You, know, you get very many men's and there'll be a lot, a lot of them in there with tags on. Um, oh, wow. We, we struggle to sell them though. And I think it's to do with there's so many different sizes and fits that yes. you kind of need to be able to go into a shop yeah, and, try size, and try the size down, and it's a quite hard thing to, to resell. Yeah, yeah.
2: You know that goes sort of talking about fast fashion. That's another place where a lot of the kit that we get comes from is from seasonaires who come out for the season and then they buy, they shop online, they just buy things online all through the season. And then realise that they can't take it all home with them because oh, wow. they've only got the allowance of one suitcase or whatever. And uh, and so stuff just gets dumped at the end of the season. You know, like brand new things from ASOS and you know anywhere that they can order online, basically. Well, I wouldn't
0: have thought about that at all either, yeah. No.
1: When we, well, when we first moved here, like when I first moved here, which is coming on 15 years ago now, like you didn't have online shopping. and in- Yes. To be honest, you didn't, you didn't really, I don't know if I even had, Mobile phone. Well, I certainly didn't have a mobile phone that did anything <laughs> other than call something. Yeah. So that first season when you first came here, you were like, you couldn't shop online. You, I worked in a chalet company and because we didn't have mobile phones, as soon as you finished work in the morning, you had to go and find your friends to ski with her for the day because you missed them <laughs> by 10 minutes. You'd never yeah. find them. So we had this really different sort of way of living out here, whereas now that's kind of been massively changed by the mobile phone um, and it's given people the capability to continue continue yeah. shopping. Um, in the London Resort which is
0: well uh, yeah literally at the top of a mountain and you can still shop well and seasonaires are better paid now as well yeah (laughs) I'd never heard that phrase seasonaires before
2: oh yeah that's what we're all we're all seasonaires like we all came out for one season or whatever and just end up staying
0: (laughs) (laughs) um so then you've the progression of one tree at a time and it's now become this really recognized like you say hyperlocal brand and then reaction is uh, to to try and spread that and for it to become industry-wide and, and even more than that, I think, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. Um, I was on a podcast with a lady called Catherine Wheatman. It's called the Circular Economy Podcast. Oh, okay, cool. And uh, after we'd finished recording, I was chatting to her and said, oh, like, this, this shop space really works. So we have an employee here. Um, we pay easily 20 euros an hour, so we pay uh, both wages and we manage to pay all our rent and end up with some money in the bank. It's completely self-funded the the only, only money that's ever gone into this association from like a donation point of view is I donate start funding just to set up the um the legal stuff mm. and then on it's been able to look after itself. So we know what we're doing here works. Yeah. Uh, and as Chance Catherine has said, oh, it would be great to sort of scale this. Um but I don't want to open ten one tree at a time shops. Mm especially it's not what I want to do in my life, like, <laughs> uh, <I'm> really happy. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it can be quite stressful running a lot of different shops because the climate might change like um, yeah. financial climate stuff. So we didn't want to do that, but also one tree at a time doesn't need to be transplanted in each community because each community has a different need,
2: mm.
1: you know, and I see this really positive possibility. Of regenerating high streets by offering what's really needed within in that community, so we sort of worked on the idea of creating a collective where we can have organisations that come together to work on solving these problems. So we now have like a, I mean, a broad range of organisations across outdoor sports. Some of them do things like peer to peer lending. Some of them do rental, like children clothing rental. Mm Some are physical outdoor shop spaces that we've introduced uh, clover and drop-off bins and, and second-hand into their stores. Uh, we're working in New Zealand and in the UK to introduce the patching system to to outdoor gear. Amazing. So, yeah, essentially was a collective.
2: Yeah, the idea is that, you know, the taking the bits that have really worked here, which is the community involvement, um the the message behind it all that we need to repair uh constant you know revive rescue rescue clothing yeah revive it repurpose it redistribute it resell it reallocate it whatever because the the kit that we've got here has a lot of intrinsic value and uh you know it's just devastating to think that that could be going to landfill particularly given all of the resources that have gone into making that item probably in a coal-fired factory
0: somewhere. Well and probably um virgin plastic, you know, for, for fossil fuels and things, isn't it? Yeah.
2: Exactly. Shipping it halfway around the world for it to be worn uh a few times for it then just to yeah. end up in the in landfill. But each community, um, yeah, like Gavsets has different needs. So it could be like a climbing community. Like what do they do with uh caving stuff Mm. uh, with ropes because they can't use ropes forever but they can be used for other things yeah what about surfing communities you know what are they doing with the neoprene wetsuits once
0: they're no longer fit for wearing in the sea and the bodyboards are a huge issue as well aren't they i think i um i read something from i can't remember it was surface against sewage or msc but saying like you know that it's all this stuff that gets washed up, the, the biggest thing left behind is the bodyboards because they're just these really cheap plastic things and actually having a rental model for them would make so much more sense. Mm.
2: So it's about, it's about sort of sharing the knowledge that, that, um, that gab has got with One Tree, sharing that with other organisations and also um, giving them a platform upon which to share their, um, their knowledge and experience as well of what works in their communities and actually kind of helping each other out. Um, so we have like a monthly call with uh, between the collective where we all jump on Zoom for an hour at lunchtime and, and yeah, we have a sort of a loose agenda, but basically, yeah, talking about uh, how to work a repair day, how to implement this type of solution, or, oh, does anyone have a contact for this? Mm. Um, and so on and so forth. Supporting each other across the social networks as well. Yeah. To get the message out there and to encourage more people to um to get involved and to look for their for the local for their local establishments who can help them. Um we run campaigns, so our latest campaign is called Ten Thousand Repairs. Yes, I saw that. I really wanted to ask you about that. How's it going? (laughs) Yeah, it's fab it's really captured people's imaginations, which is
0: awesome. So the idea is to repair ten thousand items before the end of the year, is that right?
2: Yeah, exactly. So we're encouraging people and hopefully giving them the tools, the confidence, the inspiration to actually pick up a needle and threads, pick up something that's in their wardrobe that they're not wearing because it's got a hole here or a rip there or a button's popped off or whatever and getting them to repair it and then log it on our, um, on our online form. And that way, I don't know, I think people can just be really proud to, to have kept something in circulation. It shows people that you don't have to be an expert, yes. um, that anybody can do it. And it's just about it's just about making time and yeah, sort of changing priorities, you know, rather than jo- going online and spending 20 minutes trying to find a new version of that thing. Well, why not spend 10 minutes sewing it up while you're watching your favourite programme or whatever? You, you know, it just doesn't it's to- so
0: true because my mending pile is quite big. <laughs> and I put it off, and I put it off, and I put it off. But then, actually, each mend itself probably takes ten minutes, like you said. Yeah. Um, so, if you've got resources on the website that you know, if someone's a complete newbie, they can come and they can find some instructional videos and bits and pieces like that.
1: Yeah. So, rather than repeating everything twice on the internet, we're starting to work with Repair What You Wear.
0: Yes, I interview. I had them, had them on the podcast. So I'll link to okay, them. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we're going to work with them and and point people in their direction, share resources. Ros is actually going to help us create a few videos for the site. Oh, brilliant. Um, she's amazing. Her, yes. If, you've, if your listeners haven't checked her out, please do.
0: Oh, and her videos are just brilliant and so practical and sensible. And she's made a real point of like, you you know, you don't worry if you don't know how to use a sewing machine. You don't even need to use a sewing machine to do a lot of these really basic repairs and things. And she just makes it feel really doable, which I think is quite you know important because lots of us are really daunted and put off by a sewing machine, aren't we?
1: Yeah, she's, she's, uh, well, she's currently on a mission to figure out how to replace a zip in a waterproof jacket with hand stitching.
0: That's oh it. my goodness.
1: But yeah, that's, that's, it's really exciting to work with someone like Roz because she's, she's just great and, um, her videos are so easy to follow. Uh, and over time, we hope to build because we've got other repairers in the, in the organization. So we've got, um, Sheffield Cloven Repair. okay. Uh, we've got Snowdonia Gear Repair. They're both working, in outdoor sports equipment. We've also got yeah. Alpine alterations, which are based in Morzine. And so over time, we hope to build up a really good library of resources from yeah. the, from those members. So get them involved in creating some videos and teaching us how to do the repair. Uh, Becky from Sheffield Cove and Repair is great because she only uses hand-pedaled... Uh,
0: oh, wow, so there's no, guess, machine, no yeah, carbon involved yeah,
1: there. carbon at all in her stuff, and her repair is top-notch, it's amazing. Wow.
0: And that, um, ten, you know, you're talking about that 10,000 repairs and people can come and log it. Mm. I think that's super important as well, because it helps people to feel like they're a part of something bigger. Because so often we just think, oh, does it really matter if I've repaired my one, I don't know, little hole in this? And like, what's the point? And then when you're like, wow, I've, you know, I've helped them get one step closer to the, this 10,000 repairs, which starts to feel really, really impactful. So that's as well as that visible repair. I think that's a really important part of the story and the messaging, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah definitely i mean we'd really like i have this idea that there should be like a sort of right to repair with outdoor kit mm. i guess people think well i've already got a right to repair but it's actually really quite hard to get the same zip for example that your yes. dress has or the right color fabric um to patch over something so you know whereas we'll quite often in here celebrate the repair and, and make it quite bright there are people that would like the repair to look yes you and they, and they understand that so we're kind of hoping that as this campaign grows, that some brands will get in contact and we can try and develop this sort of right to repair model. I think it'd be really powerful for a brand to deliver that model. Um, they'd have to really think about the design processes. So rather than always swapping the color of the fabrics or swapping the length of oh. zips, for example, they'd have to kind of standardize it a little bit so they could carry um spare stock. They could then really help teach us and other people in the in the reaction organisation on some of their repair skills. So like I said earlier, replacing a, a glued and zip in a jacket is yes. really, really difficult. But if they could share some of the tricks and tips that they would use to do that, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, I kind of hope that at some point some brands will get in touch and go, look, we want to work with you. So the, the intention of 10,000 repairs is not just to sort of say, we want people to get repairing, but we've got a bigger goal at the end of the campaign as well and it's to try and engage brands and say look there's this massive community of people in the outdoors that want to repair their kit yeah the global community we keep getting like repairs from all over the place so i don't know how they've how they've known about us but the us
0: and yeah, new yeah. zealand and stuff. i mean you mentioned patagonia right at the beginning and they you know they're they're always the sort of poster child for how to be a more sustainable brand and um you know they do have a repair scheme and things like that have you have you done much? Have you done anything with them or?
1: Yeah, I, I think that model can go further. Um, I think in our community here, from the shop spaces, that actually, we're finding that people just want to repair the stuff within their community. Yeah. So even like emailing Patagonia to have something repaired, there's there's barriers there. Like you might have to send quite. A well, I had
0: one, and I didn't really know how to. I've got a Patagonia jacket, and the zip had broken, and I didn't really know how to access the repair scheme and and then I can't remember if I did look and it was like you need your receipt and I'm like not a chance I've got my receipt <laughs> from this jacket from however many years ago um so as you said yeah there's there's barriers there aren't there
1: you know then where's that jacket got to go to, to yes be- exactly
0: yeah be posted but I would, that's why I was like oh this going to have to go to America to be repaired and actually the brilliant seamstress in the local sewing shop she she ended up doing it for me, and she I asked her to put like a double-ended zip on, so that you know, and and she's done an absolutely amazing job that I would never in a million years have been able, if even wanted to attempt. So yeah.
1: And you know the, what you've done there is you've supported your seamstress, your local community jobs in your community. Yeah. You know, and that, that to me seems a lot more important than sending stuff further afield. And we're finding that um, certainly here that people would rather use someone in their community to do the repair yeah. or like sometimes when they come in here we show them how to do the repair we get them to sit down and we, and we go through it and they learn something in that process this this idea of reaching out to a brand and selling some sending something away and it coming back new just for me doesn't doesn't i don't know there's a better service out there i think
0: i mean it's i guess it's good for the like that the brands are then taking responsibility for their stuff and as you said if they get enough of them they have to then start thinking about their whole design process and how they can design for circularity and repair and keep some certain things consistent but um yeah i think that community element that you've talked about several times is super important
2: yeah i think there's no there's no added value is there if you just send something away and it comes back Whereas quite sterile isn't it yeah the added value here is that you make a connection and then, you know, you know who to go to next time if something, if you need something else yeah. repairing or whatever. And it has a story rather than just, oh, I sent it back. I sent it off and it came back. It's, oh, uh, Gina fixed it for me or, yes. or Marjorie did it. And, oh, in fact, she, she was saying that she was doing this, that and the other. So you've got, you know, that, that connection in a world where we're becoming almost less connected. Yes despite you know or or our lives are going more online maybe actually forging those connect those interpersonal connections is absolutely Mm. brilliant and a real value add to yeah to to what what's being offered in each community i think Mm
0: -hmm. so you've um started with the skiing industry what other industries have you been able to get on board with reaction
1: uh running industry is a big one obviously yeah, trainers
0: Jeez. yeah
1: trainers plus um finishing t-shirts Oh,
0: finishing t-shirts yeah <laughs> yeah and then um, medals like
1: yeah
0: yeah like my kids just did i mean this isn't like running in air quotes but that you know they did some i think it was like a charity 1k like race for life thing and they've all got these tacky plastic medals and I'm like, i don't want it like
1: I yeah don't... so we just uh started working with an organization called earth runs um oh, okay. based in the uk and they do uh, virtual races and plant trees on your behalf. Uh, oh. Tash, who's there's also making medals from recycled paper and seeds.
0: Oh wow! Oh wow! And then you can plant, them. You plant your medal That's afterwards. Like, yeah. Isn't yeah. that amazing? Remind you of your run. That's so lush. Yeah. yeah.
1: Got. We're working on see if we can pull it off, but actually. What I'd like to see if we could do with those medals is, at the moment, there's um, a paper front to it that tells you about the event. Um, what I'd like to do is see if we can replace that with waste fabric, so that you could take off the take off the fabric and use well. Um, yes. See, see where that goes. Yeah. That's intestine stage.
2: <laughs> and then uh, climbing industry. Yeah. So uh, outsides, which is a shop in the Peak District, uh, that's a shop that only used to sell uh, brand new items. Mm. Uh, now they work with Becky from Sheffield Clothing Repair, so we put the two of them together. Yeah. Um, so she provides a repair service to customers for the shop, and they've also got a secondhand rail in their shop now, and uh, and that's doing really well, isn't it? Yeah, I mean that's
1: amazing. That's like my favourite part so far because you know, like it's easy maybe for us to start a space like one tree at a time um, from from afresh. So
0: mm-hmm. yeah you know,
1: start us, we can scale it, but you somewhere like outside there's a functioning business that's been going for 30-ish oddish years Mm. it's very difficult to change that overnight like it's very hard for them to stop stop selling just and also
0: like I wonder if it's feels really scary to think well actually I make my revenue from selling all this new stuff and from repeat business maybe and things and now I'm potentially you know reducing that revenue but I guess it's the idea that you're you know developing other revenue streams and you get that whole community forming around your shop
1: yeah i mean we've been it's been really important for like for reaction to try and help them create the backstory um to sell in second hand because being a a not-for-profit here it's it's quite easy it's easy to get donations because you don't to a not-for-profit like it's harder to go and donate to a business that is for
0: profit Than gonna sell it on and yeah sell
1: it on but We've managed to create the backstory of reaction um, at, at outside using reaction. Half of the money does go towards, um, regeneration projects like in the peak district on yeah. the peak bogs. and some of the money also goes towards, and some of the clothing actually goes towards an organization in Sheffield that's, uh, working with the homeless, but they are keeping 50% of the sales. Yeah. So we can't introduce secondhand into a shop space like that and just displace that revenue yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not going to be sustainable. It's not going to work still got to employ people on the shops
0: when you were talking earlier about reimagining uk charity shops which i I want to talk to you a bit more about but you know that's kind of where we need to be going with our shops in that they're not just something that's just churning out continually new stuff how do we create little localized circular economies whether that's around specific shops or specific um, industries and and sort of activities and things but that feels like that's got to be the way we go
2: I think it just takes somebody with uh with the energy and the vision yeah. to do it because I feel like once Gav started doing this and he has got a lot of energy and a lot of vision, <laughs> uh, people people were drawn to it like like you know were magnetically drawn to it they were like yeah this makes sense like yes yeah I, I suppose maybe it makes more sense here in the fact that we're we're in an area where people people live here to enjoy the outdoors mm-hmm. and you know, the outdoors, you know, as we know it is kind of under threat, particularly when we think about the ski season, like how long are we
0: realistically is it mm-hmm. getting cold enough yeah. for, for us to ski? Yeah, you're really kind of at the front of, you know, climate impact yeah, exactly. really. But that
2: said, you know, I I feel like, yeah, you know, I know plenty of people who live in London who would love to be able to yeah. shop secondhand in the same way that we can do here at this
0: store. Well, I was just thinking, God, if you could get Cotswold Camping, Blacks, you know, all these big chains on on um, on board with it. I mean, wow.
1: The sort of the idea with scaling that way is that we can work with any
0: outdoor mm. shop
1: across the globe. So why can't we have 100 reaction members by the end of the year, as opposed to, as I was saying earlier, having 10 one tree at a Time shops in yes. our, in our region. You know, the impact is just isn't as large and I think it's important definitely what Heather said there about the again the story is really front and center for us out here yes like we're in the outdoors a lot we're at altitude so what happens at altitude is that you can really see the seasons come and grow quite easily because mm-hmm. take for example when the trees blossom it very much happens at a single altitude when 100 meters above you they're going to blossom oh, wow. later yeah. or later onwards. Mm-hmm. and so Outside my house, for example, I can see the blossom coming sometimes two or three weeks before it, it would have done ten years ago. Um, this year, we've obviously struggled with water being a big,
2: yeah. uh, a big yeah.
1: Region, and we're in the mountains, so that's a bit of a—it's pretty worrying,
2: yeah. a crazy yeah. thing. But
1: I, I don't know, and you can probably answer this question better than anyone, Jen. Like, it does feel like there is a social shift happening, um, as Heather said. It isn't just happening just because we're in the outdoors like people in all over the UK are starting to to understand the impact of their consumption for sure um but yeah do you do you feel there's a shift
0: yeah it's I'm always a little bit torn because I'm super aware that I'm in this massive echo chamber do you know and all my socials are all people who think like I do and uh want the same things as I do but yeah and you know I think it's something consumption isn't something I think that we've traditionally talked about in terms of climate and environmental impact because you know a the governments don't want us to I mean the UK government are banging on endlessly at the moment about you know this need for growth um and there's that quote I'm sh- I'm sure you've probably come across it the only people who believe in infinite growth on a finite planet are um economists or madmen you know it's and and so that's the story that we're told all the time and our part as a you know good citizens and is to is to go out and to consume and to keep the economy going And then also, I guess it's not a very attractive message. And this is where we need some storytelling, Heather, in that, you know, buy less. We've been told for so long that signs of success are being able to buy whatever you want, whenever you want it. And then to actually be having these messages going, oh, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And let's have a think about. And and I guess that defensiveness. Well, who are you to tell me what I can buy and not buy and all these sorts of things? So having really positive stories to try and you know and I think there probably is still some I don't really see it in my communities but some still some stigma around buying second hand and those sorts of things so that storytelling element is super important I think to help people to join the dots.
2: I think you're really right with that the big problem with degrowth as it were is that it's not a very sexy sell like why would I want why would I want to have less or do less or whatever uh, yeah
0: it's not very um, it's very countercultural, isn't it like yeah
2: exactly yeah um but i think yeah there's there's the sort of stories that i would really pull out are uh, definitely to do with connection and community but also to do with uh gaining new skills and, mm. and knowledge and you know one of the things that that i did when one tree first set up was go along to a workshop day where i learned how to fix um, Jeans, and which yes. has been amazing for you know, with an eight-year-old boy um, fixing the knees of his trans- yes. it felt like all I did uh, yes. for the last, all I all I've done for the last couple of years. But um, you know, I've I've fixed my own clothes as well. I've fixed other things, and and I do wear those things with pride, and I do make them last longer as a result. Mm. So I'm almost like I almost like can't give them up now. It's kind of yes. Challenge. I've challenged myself. Like, how long can I can I eke these jeans out for? And it's, I don't know. It's kind of, it is fun. It is
0: like whimsical. It's, I don't know. It's, it's
2: more interesting than. Yeah.
0: Online. Yes. Yeah. And that whole visible mending thing. I mean, like, if anybody wants to have a look at the visible mending hashtag on Instagram, it's like huge, isn't it? But ten years ago, we did a year buying nothing new, and and I, you know, wasn't really into sustainability didn't really it wasn't really great at sewing but as you said patches on knees of boys jeans I've got two boys they were like three and one so that was what I just found myself you know it was one of the first repairs I did but then genuinely was panicked that I would send him into preschool and they would have us on some sort of social services list yeah And you know and and I, I think that's I mean certainly for, for myself that's less than I can give a monkeys now and I will really happily point out patches and chat to people and things about it but I think there is still a little bit of that maybe in people's heads that like oh god if we're if we're going around or sending our children out in patched clothes people are going to think that we can't afford x y and z and for some people that will be a, a bit of a barrier perhaps
1: I think the story that we need to get across that is really important is that actually owning less stuff can be a lot more enjoyable yeah, yeah. um I, you know, I've made an active, like, decision to buy and own a lot less stuff, and it just means I have to deal with a lot less stuff, and it hasn't affected what I like doing in the outdoors. So, mm. I particularly like running in the in the summer. I've been running now in the same pair of shorts for ten years. Like, why why have I got any need to to change them? And I, I like like. I don't
0: know if I want to see those shorts
1: again. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a few repairs, <laughs> but like, I like running because of its simplicity. I like running. Yes. I can put a pair of shorts on. I can, I generally run in whatever t-shirt I put on. I, you know, I don't have like a a running kit as such. Um, and I like the simplicity of that. And I like just being able to go and do something and, and get out there. And there's also stories around like getting to meet people in the community. So since I've done this, I have like a completely different group of friends and a much bigger social group of friends, much more French friends. And just it's completely changed, changed the way I live. And as Heather said, if I'd just been shopping online, yes. um, rather than coming into this space and working with different people in this community, I just wouldn't have created any of that. And I think it's a really good sell. Yeah, <laughs> it's a really good thing to do. We just we just need to tell the story properly. Like yeah. it's, it's, a, it's much,
0: enriching, isn't
1: it? T- Ten shares are brilliant. Um, I don't know if you heard shares. Yes,
0: ship. I wanted to. I, I, well, I, a I want to get them on the podcast, but b I yeah, wanted to, I b, to briefly mention them.
1: Part of reaction, and this is a peer to peer tent sharing app um or website, and you basically just list your tent on there and you rent it out to people uh and they can come take the tent they can you can even pitch it for them for an agreed price again with all of that you are introduced to people you're meeting people you're doing like you're actually having a conversation with someone else as opposed to just going and buying what has now become a disposable disposable tent,
0: item yeah like a
1: disposable item. Cheaply from a shop and just using it once or twice, you now can go and go and talk to someone, find like become part of a, a camping community. Mm. You know those discussions might talk about the best place to camp locally, yes. and it just feels like a lot more. It's just a lot better story. It just feels like a lot to me a much nicer model.
0: It's connections with other people. It's connections yeah. with our stuff. It's connections with the impact that our decisions make. It's so much more powerful.
1: Yeah. It's about again. It just comes down to the storytelling. I think maybe Heather, you just need to tell stories. Better.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I think I think
2: another thing, and a sort of an objection that people might have is that they don't have time for this yes. kind of thing. Yeah. But actually, when you boil it down, like, does it yeah. take that much time? I'm not sure it does because I feel like for, with repairing, for example, you can do it while you're yeah. doing something else, while you're chatting to your mum on the phone, or while yes. you,
0: whatever, in a box set. Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly, or you could, um, and then when it comes to like perhaps renting something rather than buying something, I would almost argue that you'd save time because you go onto the rental site, you find a thing you need that is less involved, you just, you know. Yes. Yeah. um, I think
1: the repair side of stuff, like I found that if I take an evening to do some repair, especially if I do it by hand, um, I find it really relaxing.
0: It is really mindful, isn't it, that repetitive?
1: Really, really mindful uh it gives you loads of headspace it's a bit like going for a run I like going for a run because yeah
0: just
1: going for a run and you're out of it again and I find that part of repair really nice because our like daily lives now are just you know they're full of social media TV mm. uh all the different inputs and it's actually quite nice just to sit there and be creative and, and do something hands and I actually like my mum's a really good um seamstress and she taught well we used to do loads of stuff when we were younger lots of like cross stitching and things and I haven't done that for years and then I've started sewing again by hand and i picked it all up straight away and it's been really easy to remember and it's just, I found it quite quite approachable and quite an easy thing to start up and do.
0: Feels like it should be compulsory for all of our kids to come out with, yeah. you know, DCSEs but also being able to sew a button back on, you ah, know, do yeah. a patch, do a... These are like hugely important life skills, haven't they? And neither of you have actually mentioned the massive smug feeling you get when you (laughs) can actually pick something
2: (laughs) yeah definitely I think um definite bragging rights yes you've mended something or even if you've bought secondhand I was thinking about um you know there are quite a lot of secondhand platforms and stuff out there now and the nice thing about buying secondhand is that you that you don't have this year's thing so you're not wearing the same as everyone else like if you go to a party and you've bought a dress or whatever from mm. um uh off vintage or like yeah. something like that you know you could have a, a dress from maybe five six years ago you know that no one knows about or has forgotten about mm. or whatever, that, that could just be really good and and you know someone comes up to you at the party and is like oh where did you get that from and you're like oh it's secondhand you know I yes yeah. and you know that they'll never be able to buy the same <laughs> thing. So, You know.
1: I think you touch on something that's when we talk about sort of revitalizing second hand, that is really, really important. It's the way stuff is displayed. So
2: Yes.
1: Like in France actually secondhand isn't isn't huge, is
2: it? No. It's, it's, is it not? It's, 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 it not? You, vintage, you get vintage stores but not proper secondhand yeah. shops. So what
0: you don't really have like charity shops in the same way that we okay. do in the UK? No, nothing. So what happens to all that stuff? Think, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It goes in a a bin then they get shipped abroad. But I think traditionally Mm. the French, my experience of the French is that they would buy something of a better quality, it longer. So we take skiing, skiing for example, if you're on the ski slopes and you see someone skiing in an old-school one-piece ski suit from the 1980s with straight skis, which is like a different type of ski, they will be French. Yes. And if you see someone skiing in this year's jacket, um, they'll probably be English. Um, so there is there is i think there is a cultural difference and that's an interesting yeah. thing just probably to touch on as well we have quite a few laws coming in in, in france that are going to really change change the playing field a bit so next year all clothing is going to have to have a label on it that tells you it's climate impact
2: wow
1: um they're in conversation in a minute as to exactly how that's going to be measured and exactly mm-hmm. what it'll say i think yeah. we'll probably have to go through a few iterations before it oh,
2: that's really huge. It
1: be, but that's quite that is huge. If you're picking up a new item in a shop and you're seeing the impact that that item has um, on the climate, that, that might lead to think, yeah. Think about the Fr- yeah.
2: France is quite ahead of the curve on stuff like that. They've also um, they're also uh, the leader of the right to repair movement as well. Yeah. In terms of at the moment, I think that it ex- only extends to certain product categories, like certain electricals or household appliances, things like that. But basically, like if your washing machine breaks or something, uh, the manufacturer is obliged to uh, provide you with the replacement right. parts and the instructions for how to repair it.
1: And there's a repairability score. Yeah. I
0: mean, yeah.
2: there's
1: a repairability score now on those items. So when you're buying them, you can see how repairability is.
0: Oh, what a brilliant idea. Ages ago now, I spoke to Tara Button at Buy Me Once. I don't know if you know her. She's got a website here. And this was one of the things that she really wanted to do was to give like a cost per use when you're buying something like electrical items, so that you know if you can, if you are able to afford the more expensive one, you can see that actually that works out cheaper. And and that idea of kind of repairability and things that's that's brilliant.
1: Yeah, and there's sure to be some laws coming in about end of use as well on clothing. So there's some laws coming in that you, if you're the manufacturer or the seller or the distributor. You have to think of end of life solutions for that product. So how these laws will be, uh,
2: but action, you
1: know, I don't know. They're, affected, make, they're but, making
2: a start, and they yeah. they also um, implemented a law around in supermarkets where you, they're not allowed to dispose, they're not allowed to throw away food that's out of date anymore. It, has yes. to, uh, it goes to of food, of food banks and stuff. Things. Yes.
1: Yeah. I think there's a really interesting bigger bigger story going on there because. So, in my ski shop, in my proper job, um, <laughs> we sell new products, which is kind of strange.
0: Are you just constantly going, go over yeah. there? <laughs> <left." laughs> no, no.
1: Uh, what I'm constantly trying to do is uh, take myself out of that business.
0: <laughs>
1: oh. It's a, a process. Heather's been much quicker at that process. Very <laughs> yeah. impressed. But what I'm seeing in that, in that business is that the material flow at the top, so the new products is is quite complicated at the minute, um, and to the point where we're not getting some of the stock because they don't have some of the metals, they don't oh, have some
2: okay. plastics. Yeah.
1: It's my belief as we get further into climate change that that is only going to get worse. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you've built an economy that is completely built on selling stuff from abroad for cheap, then you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. If you're working towards constructing an economy that supports organizations like OneTree, um, it encourages people to use our services. For example, you look at the, the impact of a piece of clothing, and actually, I'm going to repair something or I'm going to use a hand. You're creating a a much bigger economy based around circular models. Mm. And then if we do have bigger problems or bigger issues with the material flow, like stopping at the top, then at least you've sort of insulated the economy a bit, you've created these skills.
0: Yeah, because I I mentioned um this stat in a podcast I recorded last week that uh, I think it's um you probably don't get sewing bee over there but like there's this BBC program called the British oh, yeah. Sewing Bee and Patrick Grant who's one of the judges he has this um stat that's there's enough clothes already in use to clothe the next something like seven generations of, of six people.
2: generations I'd
0: heard but yeah 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 I can yeah um and and that podcast actually was with um, a brilliant woman called Shay um, Shing and she's just she's for the last year been running a sort of circular fashion project in Chippenham in Wiltshire and it has exactly as you said reimagined the charity shop so they set it up really bright really airy really welcoming really um focused on getting teenagers in uh you know those kinds of things had repair workshops had a really great secondhand rail it all been upcycled had upcycling workshops and like it feels like we should have one of exactly as you say one of them on every high shop that high street that should be what our charity shops look like mm. yeah
1: i think coming back to when i was saying earlier the french didn't, I didn't really finish what i was saying then actually is that when the french don't have a, a hand shop sort of culture here i when working in the space i spent quite a lot of time explaining to the french people that come in here that this is second hand, right and that's due to the way we display it the way we look after the products and and and, and show them off and you know, we don't just fill it to the max. Like yes. we, we very much select what's on display at a certain but time. Doesn't it Doesn't
0: all just look tired and grubby, and like you've got to really work to find what you what you need or want?
2: Yeah, it's all in. It's all in sizes. It's all Colourous. in type of garments. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it looks like a regular shop, doesn't it? Mm.
0: Really, it
1: looks like a regular shop. And I think that's really important. Like we we no, you said that. What was the organization you just said?
0: Uh, so they're called Refashion. I think she's she's rebranded. It's like it's now Refashion My Town. Um, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she's doing loads of great stuff with um, sort of fashion. But so if there's a, uh, somebody listening who works in, uh, you know, an outdoor sports industry and thinks I'd love to find out more, how can they potentially come and get involved?
2: Uh, so the first thing that they could do would be to go to our website, which is re-action-collective.org. Uh, they can also find us on Instagram. We're re-action-collective. Uh, we're on LinkedIn as well. Um, you can find us there. Um, but, yeah, we tend to hang out on um, on Instagram. And, uh, yeah, there's a contact form on our website. There's information about 10,000 repairs on our website as well yeah we're always posting stories and things about what repairs people are up to and
0: things like that so um, and i guess if if people are listening as individuals they can definitely join in with 10,000 repairs but also if i guess i guess a local independent is probably an easier um in than you know trying to get a big brand on board to start off with but to to go to your local outdoor clothing store and say look i've just heard this podcast would you guys be interested in this and have a listen and to try and sort of spread the word and see like you say, how many different um shops and industries and all those sorts of things we can we can bring on board.
1: Probably got about ten organisations based in the UK on, on the reaction site and some of them are geographical but some are online uh, organizations. Yeah. So you can go and support them for sure. Like Yeah,
0: definitely. Find find ones either local to you or that you can access online and, and buy some repaired stuff.
2: Yeah, I think it just takes, yeah, a bit of energy and a bit of enthusiasm. And I think the the benefits just far outweigh any any time cost or anything like that I mean it's just it's been brilliant it's such a joy to be involved in something like this because people are just blown away by what what they can do when they get together
0: yes yeah yeah absolutely amazing I think it's brilliant I was so excited looking at your website I was like oh wow that's really cool and that's really cool and look at that um so yeah absolutely like it's brilliant and thank you so much for doing it and Thank you so much for taking the time to, um, to come and chat to me. And now here's a little update from Gavin about what they've been up to with reaction over the past year. Somewhat predictably, we ended up chatting for ages. So I've had to attempt to edit our conversation in order to keep this episode from turning into an absolute epic. So please do forgive the perhaps somewhat abrupt jumps and very poor editing between the clips. Welcome back, Gabby, to the podcast and huge apologies for the technical cock-up, shall we call it, that meant that this didn't get published this time last year.
1: Oh <laughs> no, that's that's no problem at all. Um it's very good to be back. Thank you.
0: Uh how are you? What have you been up to? So so everyone listening will have just heard about, you know, where you were up to, and I looked back, and I think we recorded that on the third of October last year. Um so almost a, a year and a, a week ago. Um what what have you been up to since then?
1: Um quite a lot. Like and I think we've moved on quite a bit in what we do. Um we actually a, a big trigger for this actually is we we entered a competition called the Green Changemakers competition last year. And I cannot remember where we talked about this in the <laughs> I
0: don't think we did, no. <laughs> conversation we just
1: had before. Um and we actually got into the finals of that. So we got into the final of that from 460 organizations down to the last 30. Um, we did miss out on the funding, so twelve organisations got funded. We were very close to getting that, but what the experience did do is it made us sort of rethink um, what we were doing a little bit. So it was it was quite a good experience for, from a funding perspective because there was lots of like peer review, And right. um, there's a lot of chance to sort of change your funding um, to get feedback, um, and it sort of, what it's done is it's fed into a project that we've kind of sort of had in, in mind for a while and it's a sort of project to see how we can encourage athletes, ambassadors, um, change makers to really start to think about their role in in climate change and the, the impacts that we're all facing and how they can have a positive role um, for two reasons. One is we've got an amazing collective, which has about that's 36 organisations now and we've got one organisation for the States. So, oh, wow, cool. Um, and what we really want to do is champion their work because there's so much fantastic work going on there. But we have a quite a big barrier, and that's in reaching reaching our audience. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's really due to the fact that – I think it's due to the fact that we're pushing for a lot of sort of system change stuff. So we're sort of saying, like, we need to repair our clothes. We need to resell them. We need to introduce the sharing economy. Um, and the sort of social media platforms really are set up to yeah. keep the state of the world going.
0: Right. And to and to take your money from you. <laughs> and to take your money. We that. Out, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean that's super interesting. You're talking about the the sort of the ambassadors and things. Like we had Rich Holmes on. I don't know if you come across him. He was at uh, Planet League and doing a lot with sort of football clubs and trying to okay. to get them to sort of do more sustainable things. And and we talked there about the barriers, maybe that some of these really high profile um, sports people face in terms of. The accusations of hypocrisy they get when they, if they sort of pop their head above the parapet and start talking about lower consumption lifestyles, and they've got you know they all their sports cars and flying everywhere and things. And it strikes me that in the sort of outdoor sports space, maybe it's not quite that you don't have quite that sort of level of celebrity and things. But maybe I'm just because I'm not in that space and I don't know. Do you have the same sort of barriers? Do you think for people?
1: Um, I'd say no. Like I'd say it, it is different. Um... There is celebrities, but definitely some of those that are towards the top of their sport are actually really starting to speak out um, around this subject, starting to stand up. And, I mean, what, what our plan is, is to to start off with find 12 athletes or ambassadors that are starting to think about their impact, want want to speak out, want to sort of change their role in sports, uh, give them carbon literacy training. So Heather, who has just been on the other part of this uh, <laughs> recording, uh, she's, delivers carbon literacy training currently is running a course on marketing um but we're building one that's focused more on sports and out sports in particular uh the idea is to give the people this training but also to give them access to the collective so you know carbon literacy sort of puts the woolies up yeah and so yes
2: yeah. yeah
1: how bad it is um and what we want people to do is at the end of that understand what how, how grave the position is and that we really need to act, but actually also provide some solutions that they can go mm-hmm. and champion. So, you know, they might go and volunteer at an organisation. They might list their tent on Tent Share, for mm-hmm. example, um, and promote that through their networks. They might go and donate some of their excess clothing equipment to Fran at Kit Squad so that Kit Squad can get some of that kit out to people on low income. Um, yeah, so we want to kind of make it so there's a positive result as well mm. with this training. And then uh sort of around that we we're, we're kind of writing a, a kind of toolkit and it's gonna talk about all the things you could do now um that would improve your outdoor sports. Um like say introduce the sharing economy, rental, redistribution, regenerative stuff that's going on at reaction. So yeah, it's it's designed, I think, well it is designed to try and help those people make that transition. One, they're gonna be in a group of twelve. So they've got other peers that they can talk to about the yeah. things they're going to come across you know when they do uh comment on things online they're definitely going to get um some stuff thrown back at them but i think if they've got 12 like 11 other peers and then they've got the reaction collective as well behind them um they've got the information that they've learned from the carbon uh literacy that they've just got a better chance i think of, of being able to take that stance and like it is important that as individuals we change our ways like I do strongly believe this because my journey has been from changing my way in quite a small way to begin with running a fix-it day outside Mm. Um, my shop and I've ended up now running an organization that's covering seven um, free continents and seven countries so I feel like it it is important to take those steps but ultimately we need system change and yeah that's what these athletes need to be voicing and all right, if some of them in the past have had a contract with a, you know, that came with a sports car, for example, or, yeah. you know, like had all kinds of contracts really. And that's in the past, like we need to move forward. So like, we can't always focus on what people have done before. Um, we're all changing, we're all learning. So yeah, it's, it's an, the idea is to try and just give them that space to um, progress forward and feel like they're doing it as a collective.
0: And that's super important. I think that feeling that like it's not just me, and that you're doing this as a group of people, and gives you that confidence to to do it. And you sort of see other people doing. Oh God, now I'm going to have to do it because three of them have done it now, and I'm going to have to do it. And things. I think that that group thing is is super powerful potentially.
1: Yeah, and then and then ultimately, like in the future, as the collective reaction grows, like I can foresee a point where we you know, we can write open letters to the industry, to some of the sport events, and we're going to need to get ambassadors um, speaking out about how we need to change the system, you know, like how, whilst I think there's a lot of athletes in the outdoor industry that have definitely got the hearts in the right place and things, there's definitely a lot of events that, you know, they're greenwashing, Mm. (laughs) the hell out of sports washing, the hell out of stuff, like, you know, car manufacturers store them on Blanc and yeah
0: and you've also got a um a a rebranding project and I think I've seen bits of that on LinkedIn as well where you're
1: yeah this actually is part of the uh, a little bit part of the ambassadors project as well what we're saying is um and we're trialing this is basically you can send in your existing running outfit for example or your ski gear or whatever sport you play and we can actually put the reaction logo onto that existing piece of clothing so you could be an ambassador without us having to make more more clothing yeah. um and what we, we've been trialing this with pre love sports so this is a very collective approach we um the shop and Peter stick called outside got donated some secondhand waterproofs they passed them on to robbie at chamonix, uh, chamonix challenge which is a, a holiday provider in chamonix and he's rented them out so he's rented them out this summer and then with all the funds going to support reaction. Um, and then we've taken that money and we've bought Michael at Pre Love Sports, which is a CIC. Um, we've bought him a heat press, and we've we figured out how we can order up logos. Um, we can order individual logos as well at quite a, a really cheap price, to be honest. Um, so that we can rebrand a lot of the race tees that he gets. So, you know, like right. finisher jerseys. Yeah, yeah. So, um, he's been taking those and applying the Reaction logo over the top, for example. Um, but what? I'd really like to do at some point is find like a small business that maybe does use a uniform, um, but wants to make one just as sustainably as they can. Uh, The idea would be that rather than buy a new uniform, they give their staff the the money that they would have spent on that uniform and ask them to go and buy something secondhand. Um, And ideally they go and buy something that, well they will go and hopefully buy something that they really love and they like to wear, Mm. you know, something that, that, is their style and makes them feel confident, um, and then we'll apply the um, their logo to those garments. Is what we'd like to be oh, able to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is what we're trying in the minute. See if that see if that is
0: possible. Brilliant, thank you, Gavin, and um, apologies again. Oh my goodness, I am so glad Heather followed up on this and made me aware of my complete and utter failure to publish this and that it's now out there in the world because I loved listening back to it and got excited all over again at all the brilliant stuff that Gavin and Heather are doing with Reaction and hearing about their approach to encouraging people to think more widely about the impact of the sports that they love doing and some of the actually really quite simple steps we can take to reduce that. So what did you think? Are you going to be checking out the Reaction website to see if there are any collective members near you? Are you an outdoor sports enthusiast who is now going to contact race or event organisers to ask them what they're doing to reduce the impact of their event? Let me know. You can email me as ever on jen at sustainableish.co.uk or you can find me at sustainableish on pretty much, well, I say all of the social media channels, all of the social media channels that people my age are on. <laughs> Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, little bit on Twitter or X, certainly not uh, venturing into TikTok. I feel far too old. Anyway, that's where you can find me. Come and let me know what you're going to take away from this episode, what you're going to go away and do a little bit differently. And now here's this week's pick of the good news. First up, and this follows on nicely, I thought, from one of the good news pieces from last week around the um, celebration of people in sport uh, doing good things with the Green Sports Awards and this is from an article in The Guardian reporting that Sport England which invests more than 300 million pounds of public money every year intends to ask sports to do far more to fight the climate crisis as a condition of receiving funding and I have to share this quote from Chris Boardman, who is the funding body's chair and an ex elite cycling athlete. He says, without veering into hyperbole, it's so that we don't all die. It's just a massive topic for everybody. It's the biggest topic that we all face. I mean, you can't say it any clearer than that, can you? Um, So I will link to the Guardian article for anybody who wants to go and read more in the show notes. But I thought that was a nice follow on piece of news uh, to share. Okay, piece of news number two. This one is from the Positive News website and the headline is Ocean Superheroes Given a New Home. Thousands of oysters are settling into their new home this week, an artificial reef the size of a football pitch off the coast of North East England. And this is important because overharvesting, disease and pollution have meant that the European native oyster, I think that's what it is, the European native oyster has declined by over 95% in UK waters since the 1800s. And it's hoped that the release of... 10,000 mollusks will form the foundation of a new marine ecosystem and oysters are super important because apparently they can filter hundreds of litres of water a day. And the waters around Britain need all the help they can get at the moment with being made just a little bit cleaner. <coughs> and finally, much closer to home, Fran in the sustainable Clubhouse shared a sustainable fundraiser that's being tried by her daughter's school, which is a pre-loved Christmas decorations pop-up, with the idea being that if you've got Christmas decorations at home that you're a little bit bored of or you're wanting to reinvigorate or you've got excess somehow ended up with excessive Christmas decorations then you can donate them to the pre-loved Christmas decorations pop-up stall at the school winter fair Um, and that will not only help to keep those decorations out of landfill will help somebody else to get some new to them decorations but also raise some much needed funds for the school I thought this was just such a lovely idea and I really wanted to share it with you all because it seems like a relatively easy thing that you might be able to persuade your school to get on board with too. So do let me know if that happens. Okay, that's it from me. Um, Thank you for listening as ever. I really, really do appreciate each and every listen and download. If you haven't already, please do rate, review, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast it really does make a difference. It really does mean that more and more people uh, are listening to the show. Um, And I have actually, I will confess, I have been looking at how well or otherwise the show is rating, uh, certainly on iTunes. And it would be amazing if we can start to see the show start to move up those ratings. So any support you can give would be massively appreciated. Thank you again for listening. And I will catch you next time.